Shalom, salam, and welcome to Tour Guide Confidential. My name is Dr. Eyal Duchovny, and this is your backstage tour of the travel industry. Two weeks ago, I traveled from Haifa, where I live, to Beit Jala in the Palestinian Authority in order to interview Kamal Mukarker, a Palestinian tour guide and educator who is preparing a new generation of Palestinian tour guides. We had an in-depth and far-ranging discussion about his family's background, the upheavals that they have suffered due to the last 100 years of conflict in the Holy Land, his mother's upbringing in Germany, the state of the Christian community, tour guide training in the Palestinian Authority, normalization, the difficulties surrounding the occupation, and the recent Abraham Accords, as well as the struggles that tour guides are currently facing due to the continued coronavirus crisis. Though Israelis and Palestinians are literally neighbors, these kinds of meetings are unfortunately very rare. Aside from the physical separation, there is a mental separation between both peoples that is a sad legacy of the Second Intifada. As a child, I remember that my parents had very close friends who were Christian Palestinian Arab citizens of Israel, and I personally spent more than a few Christmases going to midnight mass with them. Unfortunately, the weight of the conflict proved to be too much for their friendship, and eventually the ties were severed. A similar process has happened on the national level. After the first intifada, which happened in the late 80s and early 90s, there was a realization among many Israelis that it was necessary to separate from the territories. The Oslo Accords of 1994 are, I think, a testament to that realization and process. Sadly, the Second Intifada, which was much more violent than the first, pushed both populations to look at separation as not enough and to pursue instead a full divorce, physically and mentally, Though the distance between us is really slight, there is very little in the way of contact, which, when you think about it, is quite striking if you consider that we live in a world where Zoom meetings with people from one end to the other end of the world are an everyday occurrence. Since I am a tour guide, I have special permits that allow me entry into parts of the West Bank, such as Bethlehem and Jericho. But the vast majority of Israelis do not have this privilege. And, to be honest, I doubt that there are many who would even pursue it if it were an option. In fact, most people that I tell about my forays into the Palestinian Authority chide me for being reckless and irresponsible for doing so. Let me give you some concrete examples of what I mean. In order for me to enter Beit Jala, I agreed with Kamal to meet in the parking lot of the Everest Hotel. The hotel is literally on the dividing line between the Israeli-controlled West Bank and the area under Palestinian Authority control. It is on the edge of a Jewish community settlement called Hargilo, and the Palestinian town of Beit Jala, where Kamal lives. It is kind of like an informal checkpoint Charlie that once existed between East and West Berlin, and where Israelis meet their Palestinian hosts. On this particular Saturday, we had agreed to meet around 11.30 a.m., only we didn't realize that in the Palestinian Authority, they had turned back their clocks by one hour to standard time, exactly a day before Israel did the same thing, 
which was at 2 a.m. on Sunday morning. You could look at this and say, so what? Often adjacent countries have different time zones. But this is not what happened here. Actually, all across the West Bank, or Judea and Samaria, as Jews call this area, for that one day, there were towns that were in one time zone, while neighboring towns were in another time zone. Even more so, Arabs driving through Israeli-controlled areas were literally in another time zone than the Jews who were driving at the same time and on that same road. While we laughed at this amongst ourselves and joked to Kamal that we were visitors from the future, I think this says something about the deeper divisions that separate the two people. Even when we occupy the same space or talk about the same exact things, we are literally not in the same time zone. Outsiders may not always notice this, but we do, and it remains under the surface in all of our conversations. I'll give you another example. Recently, I started studying the Arabic language, only to realize how separated Jews and Arabs are from one another. Already in the first lesson, it dawned on me that I did not even know how to say nice to meet you in Arabic, and that I have wrongly thought all my life that the word pita is an Arabic word when it is actually a Greek word meaning bread or cake. In Arabic, pita is called kamaj. I greatly enjoyed my conversation with Kamal. He is intelligent, poised, soft-spoken, earnest, and is not trying always to be political for the sake of scoring points. That said, I am guessing that there will be listeners in Israel and perhaps also abroad who will be upset about some of the things that he says and who disagree with his assertions. I am also sure that there will be those who will contact me and maybe even upbraid me for not challenging him on particular points that he raises. I want to say that I consciously did not challenge him for a variety of reasons. First and foremost, I'm truly interested in what he has to say, and I wanted to listen to and show respect to his unique perspective, even if, at times, I didn't fully agree with certain parts of it. Secondly, the reason I met with Kamal was precisely so that I could hear this perspective, and I don't expect it to be the same as mine or that of anyone else. As we discuss in this episode, I also don't expect it to be the Palestinian perspective, but rather an important one from a fellow colleague and tour guide. These past few years have been ones of polarization and vitriol all over the world. Today we are just a few days after the 2020 U.S. election, and the need to always be right is, in my opinion, one of the greatest threats to our future. Perhaps he lived in a simpler time, but I try always to recall the words of Joseph Joubert, the 18th century French moralist and essayist, who wrote that the aim of argument or of discussion should not be victory, but progress. Here's to hoping that we will see some progress in the coming years. I hope you enjoy this episode and kindly request that you share the podcast with anyone who may find this of interest and help me to build a community of listeners. Shalom, salam, and welcome to Tour Guide Confidential. My name is Dr. Eyal Duhovri, and I'm happy to be here today from Beit Jala in the Palestinian Authority. 
And I'm here with a special guest today, Kamal Mukarkar. Thank you for having me here at your place. I really appreciate it. You're so welcome, and thank you for having me on your podcast. Thank you. Kamal, as I always begin with all of my guests, I want to understand a little bit about your background, how you ended up as a tour guide. And so I want to understand, first of all, if you could tell us a little bit about your background and your where you grew up and your influences, as well as anything that you did prior to entering guiding. All right, it's... Uh... It's a long story, but I will try to cut it short. I'm, uh, as long as you want. I, I was uh, technically born in this area. I was born in Jerusalem, by the way. But I, I was raised in Bethlehem area. And uh, as, as, uh, as a Christian Palestinian, you know, and uh, some influence of, the, of my mom being raised in Germany. It's a long story. As I said, I was raised in a German school, and uh, which have influenced me. Uh, a lot in knowing the uh, you know foreign languages and uh, foreign cultures and, and stuff like that. So my education was in the Bethlehem University in uh, business and accounting, and uh, I don't know, luckily or uh, or uh, or the opposite, when I finished my university, it was two thousand and two. So speaking about the hype of the uh, Second Intifada. And for our listeners who aren't familiar with what that means, the Second Intifada, can you it's give us a little brief? As simple as we had, like in 2002, we had curfew for almost six months in that year. So mm-hmm. technically nobody was allowed to go outside on, on the street. So if you're done with your uh, studies in that year, you're probably looking for a job, right? So there was nothing outside. All right, so it was curfew. It was I don't want to say a war situation. It's not a war, but it was really uh, probably the worst time of the Holy Land in the last century, maybe uh, at least well, twenty years. Let's say. Okay. Anyways, so uh, I decided to study outside, outside the country, to to win time. So I went to Germany, did my master's degree over there in uh, small. So- what did you do in your undergrad and what did you do in your master's? Uh, my undergrad was in accounting, mainly. Mm-hmm. My major was in accounting. And my master's was in project management. And uh, still, the situation wasn't any better in the Holy Land. So I was trying to find even other places to keep on studying before I come back. So I went to the States. I did my CPA. I'm a certified public accountant, uh, which is a very tough exam that I was able to pass. And when I came back 2008, it was, uh, you know, it was the have stopped. Wait, before we get to 2008, I want to understand. So in the United States, where did you live? Where did you stay? In Boston. Oh, in Boston area. In Boston. Okay. In Boston area. Actually, in, uh, I, we stayed in Belmont. We stayed in Quincy, if somebody's yeah. from uh, that area. Yeah. You know, be all around the, the Boston city. And, uh, yeah, 2008, I came back. Uh, I was offered a job immediately by the Bethlehem University as an instructor and a project manager for an incubation uh, project, which I immediately took. Uh, but then uh, my mom was taking a guiding course, and my mom, who's raised in Germany, her Arabic is not very good. Can you give us a little bit of the background? I, I know you're saying it's a long story, but we'd love yeah. to hear some of the story of this backstory about yeah, your mom and, yes, my, and, and, yes, and, and your background. Okay, guys, it's it's the Holy Land, right? It's it's such a Holy Land that it has so many wars, and uh, part of these wars happened in 1948, 
And during that that time, many Palestinians had to leave this country. We're speaking about refugees all around the world, uh, most probably even more than the ones who live in the land. And uh, my grandfather, or his father, was in uh, Yafo, had immigrated, and my grandfather uh, uh, had to immigrate too, but later in the 50s, due to hardship and so on. So your, your grandfather from... Father. Your, my grandfather's father from my mother's oh, side. Oh, your, your grandfather's father from your mother's side. Yeah. They were Yafawis. They were from, from, from Yafo. You could say so. Yafo, and then they moved where? He moved here. To Beth, to Jbejala. Right? Yeah. Uh, which he also had a connection here before. It was mm-hmm. open country at that time. Right. The whole Middle East was, was open on each other. So right. There was no real borders. Anyways. But this is before 48 or after 48? This is during. During, during the okay. war. He during was, the war. Yeah, during that. the war, he was accounted as a refugee okay. who came here. Yeah. In the 50s, my grandfather decided to leave the country. Right, because it wasn't getting any better. At that time, this was under Jordanian rule. Jordanian, and there was another war in 56, if you remember. Right. With Egypt and uh, Israel. And the Suez War, we call exactly. it in Israel. Yeah, yeah yes. the Suez War. So it's, it's been tough for everybody in this right. area. So my grandfather decided to leave. And my mother was just born. Okay. At two months, and uh, he ended up in Germany. Oh. And so she was raised in Germany. So that's the German connection. Your that's family moved there for exactly. in, in the 50s. 50s and uh, and as a typical uh, oriental guy, I don't want to say Arab, I don't want to say Christian, I don't want to say Jewish, uh-huh. uh, but I know the story from Abraham and Isaac right. when he wanted his son to marry, he went back home to bring a wife from there. So that's exactly the idea of my grandfather. He wants his daughter to marry uh, technically a Christian Palestinian or a Christian from Beit Jan, Bethlehem. Uh-huh. So he came for a visit. She met my dad. Long love story. Took two weeks and uh, <laughs> they ended up getting married. Very happy couple. And uh, I'm the fruit of that uh, tree. Just by the, as an aside, my father proposed to my mother after 10 days. Yeah. Okay. yeah and they're married 53 years. So. My <laughs> week, a week. Like, a know, week? One week was the uh, engagement. The other week was the wedding. They only had to do it this way because my grandfather had to go back to Germany. He was in a, he was in a so rush. It, it was like, take it or leave it. You know? So and uh, Okay. So, my mom never really studied Arabic in a very good way. So, she could speak it, but she would never read or write it. So, she was really interested in becoming a tour guide. Uh-huh. And this is when she and, uh, and her sister asked me to take the course with them. To be able to help them at, at the university, you know, to explain what's happening when, when the teacher is writing something or giving, handing us a paper in Arabic. Many of the stuff would be in English, but some of the stuff is in Arabic. So this is where I uh, I was introduced to guiding, and uh, I don't know, it was uh, love from first sight. Uh, we are ignorant about our country, unfortunately. Uh, I think both nations. And uh, the more you, once you become a tour guide or take that course, you, you'll be, uh, so many doors are open to you to, to know more about your country. So I felt in love, not about the guiding, not about uh, uh, what's it for me or what's it for, like how much income is going to bring me. It was more about the knowledge of I was taking from, from, uh, from that course. 
And uh, as I told you, I was an instructor at the Bethlehem University, so I'm a teacher. Mm-hmm. And then taking this information and then looking... What, what were you teaching at that time? I was teaching uh, like how to build a business plan oh. and human resource. And I was supposed to teach later accounting. Okay. But, uh, you know, doing that guiding course, uh, I, I taught only one course in the university and then I drifted to, to guiding. So I, you fell in love with the guiding? Yes, because, listen, it's at the end it's teaching. And you're teaching different students every time, different countries, different minds. And at the end of every day, they clap for you. You know, and you're the hero of that of that day. Yeah, and they true. might give you a good tip too. So, so that's also a good thing. So, how do you think all of this background with your mom being, you know, raised in Germany and uh, your family having lived abroad, and you know, also your background of living in Germany and in and in the United States? How do you think that influenced your decision to want to become a guide? What do you What do you think the the process was? The process is is uh, is important. I when I was young, uh, one of the stories I like to, to to say is that my mom, with her German mentality, we had to learn a music instrument when we were young. Oh. It was at a time when there was no even one music school in the West Bank. The only music school was in Jerusalem, and it was for the municipality. So if you want to go to that school, you have more than. 80% of the students are uh, Jewish Israelis, uh-huh. and there was like 20% uh, uh, Palestinian Arabs, let's say, many of which are uh, Jerusalemites, and were only few that were uh, like from the rest of the West Bank. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, my mom took us there, and I, my lecturer or my music teacher, I played the violin from 87 till 94 had the name of Tatiana, she's Russian Jewish. And uh, my friend was Moshe with a kippah, and I have pictures playing the violin together. Just so our listeners understand, what is the distance between Beit Jalla and Jerusalem? Okay, the, the whole city of Bethlehem was never a district till the 60s. For the 60s, Bethlehem and all the surrounding villages or cities today, like Beit Jalla, were seen as part of Jerusalem. Yes, this is almost like a suburb of Jerusalem, basically. 10 kilometers, 6 miles. 10 kilometers, 6 miles. So distance-wise, going to Jerusalem is not a big deal. Less than 10 minutes drive just to be at that time. Today's traffic, it's more. Right. uh, And checkpoints and stuff. So it was, yes, it was near. But we were raised to see, uh, you know, the the other side, uh, the Jewish Israelis, the... And remember, at that time, there was technically no Palestine as a name. There mm-hmm. was Palestinians. And uh, it was at a time when still people, speaking even before, like during this first intifada. And the first intifada is from like 1987 till, till 93. 93, exactly. Yeah. And uh, so it was, everything was open. Like my father could just turn on his car and he would drive us there. Mm-hmm. We were not uh, like restricted of of moving or driving in in Jerusalem. Yeah. Uh, I want to come back even, to that. Or even in Israel, mm-hmm. like we're even allowed to go to Herzliya and you know the area. When I remember my father taking us there to swim, you know before mm-hmm. the uh, before the end of the second intifada and the whole Oslo agreement and so on. But uh, yeah, to to speak about this, I was. Uh, 
my, my mom also took us to Germany a few times when we were young. So again, uh, I don't want to say I'm not the typical Palestinian because there are so many Palestinians that have this life. Mm-hmm. We are a mixed uh, nation, right? So, so many people here, especially the Christian Palestinian community, have two passports, or the mother is American, or the father is from here, or there, and so on. I didn't realize that was common. That you, yeah, it's a, not that common, but it's common. It's not uncommon. It's not uncommon, exactly. Okay. It's not uncommon. Uh, but, uh, yeah. And and speaking about me living the second intifada, it was so political and so, so, so tough, and I was in the university. I always felt there's something missing. Uh, with the, with the Palestinian narrative, which is how to explain your situation, how to explain your conflict. There was, there, it was all about numbers. It was all about, oh, see, how, this, this is how many people died, this is how many people got injured, this mm-hmm. is how many people got bullets from the hand to, to the leg, and so on. And I was... Uh, Metrics, I yeah, guess. And I, yeah, and I was like, this is not the right thing, this is not how you tell a story. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I heard so many stories when I was the young, the German Merchant, I don't know if you know what that means, but it's like there was this big book, red one, I think every German house had it. And it's like the small stories of, of uh, the Germans, or Europe, uh, Europe, European oh, stories. Okay. You know, the guy with the flute that the, the rats follow him, and you know, like so, so many stories. Like the Brothers Grimm or something like that, like uh, fables. Stories, yeah, like local... small stories for for children. Okay, for children. And, and with mom... a, with maybe with like a moral message at the end. Yes, yes. Yeah. And my mom used to tell us stories, so she's mm-hmm. a storyteller, mm-hmm. and I learned this from her how to tell a story. Mm-hmm. You know, and, uh, and this is how I felt. Two things what made me really go into guiding with my heart and soul is first. Uh, many pilgrimage will come here, so many of the tourists are pilgrimage tourists, and as a Christian, I will show them my 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 religious places. And when I take people to the Nativity Church, I'm showing them where my Jesus was born. And uh, and then at the same time, I can explain a little bit about the Israeli-Palestinian uh, situation because they're interested, especially if they ask, uh, or if there is a people. As I said, some people will come for this too, you know, so so again, it's finding myself explaining about the Christian society and culture and people and uh, Jesus Christ, and at the same time explaining the Palestinian uh, situation for the world. And this is where I always felt there is something missing. So I went into this because I think I'm, I'm okay in that uh, sector. It sounds to me almost like you have this sense of responsibility both as a Christian and as a Palestinian, to share your story. Would you say that, that that's where you're coming from, this yes. kind of sense? Yes. You know? We always feel as, uh, as you're an, an ambassador, you know, for, for, ambassador. Those, you know, for those two things. You know? And uh, this is how I feel, and this is how I work. And every day I feel I, I, I just need to lay, you know, the truth out, you know, and, and show people the, the beautiful places that we have. It's a country that's worth seeing. And worth people coming one time, two times, you know. And when tourists will come, it will just help everybody. It's, it will help Israelis, it will help Palestinians. Uh, when 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 tourists are coming here and money is being poured into these two sections of, of the country, uh, people will not think about, uh, you know, fighting and stuff, you know. It's, it's a good thing, you know. And it's, at the same time, uh, as I said, it... Uh, it also pays well at the end. It, it pays well, but uh, that wasn't really my first, uh, you know, intention. 
but I'm I'm really happy to to be a tour guide, and uh, as I told you off uh, before, that I I even went further. I teach today in the Bible College the yeah. students. I, I want to come back to that actually because one of the things that fascinating to me, and I know that other tour guides around the world and, and especially in Israel are interested in, is to understand what the tour guide training course is like here. I've mentioned before on the podcast, I've talked a little bit about the tour guide training in Israel and how long and the licensing and all that stuff. Yes. Could you tell us a little bit about that from here? So tell us about the tour guide training course. Like how does, what does it look like? What is the structure of it? How long do people study? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's 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 a tough thing to explain because I I feel I feel still it's it's uh, it's, it's still a baby in, in, in the mother's womb. You know, it's it's still the, the, the course as a layout. It's still not out there. Uh, what I'm trying to say, we have only three three colleges that uh, one university, two colleges that are only have the right to give that course, all right? Okay. So three places where you could study. And, and the funny thing, if you go to any of these, you feel it's, uh, it's not so much different, but there is like 20, 30% uh, different. It's a, diff mm. as if it's a different course. These guys concentrate on, on uh, prehistorical things and, yeah, and, and the other would concentrate on biblical uh, stories more than the other. And maybe one will concentrate on the... Uh, situation and in the last hundred years i'm not speaking about you know, the, the conflict but you know the history of the modern uh palestine and israel and the whole region in the last uh, hundred years so so my question first of all what are the three places where you can study it's bethlehem university bethlehem university is, uh, based catholic and uh the bible college bethlehem bible college which is based uh, baptist uh, evangelical and the third place is uh, Dar al-Kalima, which is based uh, Lutheran. Okay. So all three of them actually are church-based organizations, would you say? Uh, yeah, but, but like Bethlehem University, it's, uh, now it's, it's, a, it's a very proud Palestinian university. Okay. Right? So it's, uh, now, now it's run by the brothers, but, but the whole curriculum, the Palestinian Authority does interfere in what's uh, being uh, so my question is you know you're saying that it's different at least the emphasis is different yes. in the different yes. colleges at the end of the day do you get a license from yeah. from the palestinian ministry of tourism or i don't exactly. know what so so there is a two years course and okay. which you have to pass and before uh, these two years with these two years course we have uh, trips that you need to make to oh. see the place on like in life Okay. Uh, now that's where sometimes problems arose because if you have people who wouldn't get a permission to go to Israel, they will not go with you on that trip, okay. and then he's missing those trips. So how to to come up with a different plan? You know, can we do uh, like a, like a live uh, Zoom thing for mm -hmm. him, or can we do uh, just uh, you know pictures and and explain every picture for but him? You actually in your course. You go into uh, Israel proper as part yes. of the course? The course is or two years, and that is uh, four, four, four ways of making that exam. Mm -hmm. You could choose to do the whole Holy Land, which is uh, historical Palestine or Israel West Bank, if you want to call it, okay. which is fine. 
second uh, way to do it is the West Bank by itself. West okay. Bank in Gaza, it's one exam. You could choose this exam or that exam. But does it still take two years to do the West? Yes. Okay. You need to take the two full years. Okay. And then you can decide, I'm not ready to do the whole land. Okay. I'm ready just to do this. Okay. You could do Bethlehem. Or you could do just the Nativity Church. All right, so you could do this, and many people will just go for the Nativity Church because technically, 85% of the tour guides in the West Bank, they only do the Nativity Church because that's the only thing that the Israeli guides will say, okay, we'll not go in Bethlehem or we'll give this chance for the Palestinians to, to earn some money or, or uh, yeah, or that's the only few, you know, hours where an Israeli tour guide or the company, let's say, is ready to give the group for, for a Palestinian. So it's a two-year course and you go on trips. Do you remember how many trips you had to do during those two years? That's what I'm trying More to less, tell you. It's, it's different? Uh, it's different because it depends on the situation. It depends if you get that permission. Mm. It depends uh, if this year... Uh, like this year, I will take them. I will take my students uh, on the 9th of November to uh, Jericho, which usually I do two days. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to have only one day. And when the second day will happen, we don't know. We still have to wait till the monasteries will open because they're all closed. So we're right. going to do everything except the monasteries, and then do. But when it's maybe next year, maybe maybe they will finish before doing it. You know, that's the thing. Uh, this year, I'm going to take them to Nablus and Jenin, and we're going to sleep one night there. Sometimes we even spend more time than, than this, you know. When you say your students, are you coordinating a course? Is that what you mean by that? I, I work with the Bible College in, in their course, and we, we try to be the ones that are nearer to the real life of, 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 a, of a guide. So what I'm really teaching the students first is how to deal with tourists, how to speak with the tourists. I always tell them, know your customer. Mm-hmm. And because uh, it's, it's really different. If somebody is coming who's atheist and just here for a vacation, you need to know how to speak with this guy. And then if he, if he is a, a Catholic, if he's a Protestant, if he's here for the political, uh, some people just want to see Banksy and his uh, picture and his you know paintings and stuff. So know your customer. Know, know what you always have to say stuff. You, know, you go to the church. You have to say stay say stuff. But you don't need to give them the whole the whole the whole thing that what you learned. You know, know your customer. See how how you want to approach him and and so on. You know. So this is how I start with, with my students. But uh, yes, there is so much to teach them. And then we have these trips that I was telling you. So I really, it's different every time. I don't want to give you a number because I know, no, I, I know the Israeli uh, system that they have so many trips. They have crazy trips, more than us. More than us because we can't do these trips. Because I can't give a permission for my students to go to Israel. But I want you to know that yes. in Israel, there's a huge debate among tour guides over that system. Now in Israel... Because we're licensed, the Ministry of Tourism has a curriculum which says, doesn't say exactly what you have to study, but it says you need a certain number of hours yes, of things. So, for example, well, trips used to be 80 trips, 83 yeah. trips. Today, they went down to 65, something like that. And some tour guides say this is wonderful. There were too many trips. Others say... This is the, the end of the profession. These people will not know enough. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah really. Okay. And even after 83 trips, there were 
guides that organize to give more trips after the course so that we would know more. And, and we have guide groups that do this. So I was trying to understand if, if here, in, you know, under the Palestinian yes. Authority, if, the, if there's also I, this I, kind I, of, like, yeah. at least global kind of, you know, requirements. See, I'm, I'm one of the guys that doesn't want to go political every time I say something. But I have to be frank here. Only few Palestinians have the permission to work in the whole land, in Israel and in Palestine, and Israel and in the West Bank. And we're speaking about a number of 40 or 44. That's that's it. And anybody uh, who is licensed after the year 2000, it's really tough to to get that permission. These are most of the, these guys have the permission before the year 2000, before the second year. So, uh, yani pushing pushing my students to do uh, 60 or 80 trips in Israel in a place that they will probably will never see afterwards. Right. Because many of them don't have any a permission to go to Jerusalem except in Ramadan or in in Easter feast if they're Christians or Muslims. And uh, so it's it's really a tough thing to, to ask them. But we always push at least to go to the north of uh, Israel to spend two days there and try to see that we see them like tourists, I have to say. I explain it like to, like as if I'm with a, with a tourist, just to, like going into one place you know, half an hour, one hour. It's not going to be like when we're in the West Bank. Now, when I'm in the West Bank, I know this they might work here for real. Mm-hmm. And this is what I give them thorough explanation of, of these places. Oh, I completely understand. And actually, it's one of the things, I don't think it's political in the sense that it, you know, in a bad sense, I think it's important for Israeli tour guides and others to understand the limitations that are, you know, placed on you in terms of what, where you can guide and all that. And in fact, it's one of the questions that I was going to ask you later. So thank you for answering it, it now. And, and it, it is an issue. I mean, for us as well, less so, but still, you know, I bring tourists to Bethlehem and, and, I, and I have questions about that a little bit later, but I bring tourists here. And one of the times when I came, they said, you know, you don't have a guide, you have to guide. But in my tour guide course, even with 83 trips, there was never a trip to Bethlehem, of course. Mm-hmm. And so I found myself in front of the church having to, you know, from yeah. basic knowledge, yeah. guide the place because there was no local guide. Mm-hmm. So I understand, you know, the, the difficulty in the sense, not fully understand, but I understand where you're coming from, where you don't want to, you know, force these trips on them. Last year, uh, I have uh, four uh, Israeli guides, friends, mm-hmm. that asked me to make a tour for them in the, in the church and in Jericho. I took them two places and they were uh, so happy. But I, I, I didn't know if it's the right thing to do in terms of... Uh, Am I teaching them and they're going to come next time? I'm not going to get a job. But I was, I was clear to them. Uh, and it's, uh, if they don't get the knowledge from me, they could get it from anywhere else. It's not like it's hidden. You know? right. And on the opposite, I wanted to show them how a Palestinian could do the job perfectly. Mm-hmm. Not just me, so many other tour guides. Mm-hmm. They're really good, they're really perfect in, in a sense. I have, we have so many tourists that come here and they go back saying, so the best thing of our trip in Israel is visiting Bethlehem and listening to that guy. Well, his German is, is wow, you know, I, was, I didn't expect that. Uh, it's better than the Israeli guide, the German. I'm not speaking about uh, friends here, but some other guides who are, I don't know, their, their German is not, or English even, 
So we, we get compliments of, of knowledge and of, of language and, and stuff. And I wanted to show this to all my friends and, and just to know that your tourists are in good hand when they come here. You know, and, and for them to say, I'm sending you to a friend, I'm sending you to somebody that is perfect, he's, he's the best, you know, you're going to learn from him. It's different than, you know, you don't know what you're sending them. You know, so. I, I think not only that, you know, that's for sure, because yeah. there is a, a sense, you know, is it safe, is it not safe? And, and I think we should talk about that, you know, yeah. and bring that issue up. But I think also, this is your home. You will always know it better than me as a person who grew up here yeah. and knows people here. Um, and I think, you know, not only do you, you know it better, but you, you know the local people. You make the guests feel safer sure. as a result of that. And um, personally, I see you as a colleague and I want my colleagues also to, to succeed. And so I think it's important but a lot of Israeli tour, tour guides, they don't even come in. Yeah. You know, they're, they're afraid to do that. Um, and they just send their tourists in. And then when the tourists come back, you know, they've heard things, seen things. And the Israeli tour guide has no idea also how to react to it. And it's like, what did they tell them? What's going on over there? What do you think about this kind of situation i mean it's, it's not to natural answer, to answer first your uh, first part uh, yes who knows who who knows your home better you or your neighbor you know so that's that's a very good uh, question yeah. and uh, yes i mean uh, when, when it comes to israeli guides sending their uh, tourists here and not coming here uh, that's that's why i'm saying that they're welcome any israeli tour guide could obtain a permission from the idea and uh, he could come in and see. Come with your group. Feel, feel, feel free. You know, we have not even one incident. You know that uh, there are so so many tour guides come, bus drivers, Israeli bus drivers. I mean, Jewish Israeli bus drivers and Jewish Israeli guides. They come in so many in hundreds, uh, but I know there is thousands of them, and uh, they all should feel free to come and and see. You know. Uh, now, I don't want them to feel free to come and work <laughs> because, because this will take really the job of so many since I told you we are not allowed to work in Israel. Right. So we're stuck here. So it's, it's good to have this compassion. As you said, we're colleagues. And it's, it's, trust me, it's so beautiful when you tell your tourist, I'm sending you to a friend that I, could, that I want him to work. And when they come to me, I tell them, he's my good friend. We have friendship. We, I know him since so many years. He's been giving me work that puts food on my table. I love this guy. He's good to me. And so it's, it's so good to that person, but, too. You know, it's, but, it's good for both. The problem that I've had a couple of times, I mean, most of the times I work with local guides, the problem that I've had is the tour operator has an agreement with a shop here in, in uh, you know, the air in Bejal or Bethlehem. And the shop is supposed to supply the guide, right? Often the shops say they have no guides or you should guide it. Why waste the money on, a, on the local guide? And I find myself in this strange situation where I'm arguing with the local, you know, shop owner about a guide. Because I would prefer, I come in with my groups, unlike some Israeli mm -hmm. tour guides that wait outside. And we should say some Israeli tour guides simply enjoy a couple free hours 
right? They send the bus in, they don't come in. I come in always, but I find myself sometimes in this strange situation. I mean, how do I get around that? It's simple, just be firm, just be firm. They know they have to bring a tour guide for, for that uh, group, you know, and if you say, I, I wouldn't do it, you know, I'm, I don't feel comfortable. I even want to stay in your shop, you know, I don't even go to the church, or I will go to the church, but just as a companion, just to make sure everything is fine. They will bring a tool guide. Now, I, I don't like the whole system here, to be frank with you. I hate that system, and I have been, you know, even fighting against it. I, I feel it's, it's uh, dehumanizing the Palestinian tour guide, because what the, the salary we get from these shops is, is not even near to one quarter of the salary that we should get. And it's, uh, that's why I've been trying to even to speak to companies and, and introduce myself to companies that now so many even Israeli companies have understood how, how it's better for me to act and work with a Palestinian tour guide in that day or in that half a day. Uh, because it will, then this tour guide is working for me and for my tourist and he's not working for the shop that... Uh, he needs to, you know, give services for, I don't want to say push the tourists to buy, but technically he, they're paying him. You know, they're paying. It's not the company. That's, it's not the tourist who's paying. The, who, who's paying the tour guide is that shop. Right. So this, this might influence his, uh, his work uh, in terms of how, how professional he could be and how to, to, his, to his tourist and to the company that bringing those tourists. I'm not saying that I like this, this system. And I can understand, I used to work for four years as a tour operator before I got in, into tour guiding. So I, I have a little bit of a sense of the business side yeah. of things. And I know as a tour operator, probably what they're saying is, this makes my life easier. I don't have to deal with a tour guide and a shop. I just call the shop and I've got one contact there. And that's the end of the story. You think. Yeah, that's... You think. But the reality is... Tourists will come back and say, they pushed me to, to buy for an hour. Yeah. They pushed us to do this and this and that. And if you work through a tour guide, you actually, it makes your life easier and better later. Maybe to, to, to book this tour guide, it made their life easier. But later, with no problems with that company, with people saying how nice it was, actually it makes your life better on the long term to, to, to do the right thing. The right thing is you're employing somebody, paying him the right amount. And, and everything will work well. I, you know? I completely... I still, I'm, I'm not against shops. Shops are amazing. Yes. And they're really beautiful shops in Bethlehem that tourists should go in and they usually buy and they should buy uh, because it's beautiful art. I mean, Bethlehemites have been working since 500 years. These beautiful artworks in crafting the olive wood and the mother of pearl. And this brings, uh, brings unique. money to, to, to unique and brings money to these families that work. And this was being about more than 800 uh, like small uh, workshops. Mm -hmm. And they send these items to these shops and they sell it. So everybody's getting from this something, you know, which is, uh, which is perfect. It, 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 it's the backbone of Bethlehem uh, and, and the, the whole tourist industry. It's more than like 60% of Bethlehem income mm -hmm. is, uh, is based on tourism and on people going to these shops and buying and so on. I'm just saying it has to be more organized in, in, in a more human, humanized way.
I, I completely understand yeah. you. And this is one of the examples, I think, of how, you know, we really are colleagues because we face similar situations. Yeah. I face a similar situation with shops in Jerusalem and in Nazareth and in other places. And unfortunately, not all tour operators, I won't even say, you know, most, but there are tour operators who look at the tour guide as just another line item in the budget. And they're trying to minimize, you know, the budget. And they're not looking, like, like you said before, people go back and they say, my experience in Bethlehem with the tour guide was excellent. In Israel, every year, the Ministry of Tourism does, an ex- does a, a survey of tourists and asks them, what was the best thing? Every year, it's the tour guides. The tour guide is what makes the trip. Anywhere in the world you go, you have hotels, you have attractions, you have, you have all these different pieces, buses, shops, whatever. What brings everything together is the tour guide. Okay. I And this is what I think many shops, and not shops, too, many operators, tour operators, don't think about, don't see, you know. But I think it's, it's, uh, it's a little bit different. Last year, okay. because competition is, is tough. There right. are so many tourists, but still competition is tougher and tougher between the big companies and even small companies. And everybody want to be unique. And everybody knows I cannot miss this. I cannot make a harm here or there. Because now everything is, is computerized. Everything's on the net. If, if they have a bad experience with this tour guide or with this company, it will be on the net. Mm-hmm. It will make so much harm for that company. So now I think it's... You're the, feeling a shift? I, oh, there is a big shift. I work with many Israeli companies mm-hmm. and I work directly with them. Mm-hmm. And they, even if I don't work, they would ask me, what do you think? We have a group that want to go to the north of the West Bank. Should mm-hmm. we go that day? Should we go on a Saturday or, a, or a Friday? We have an Israeli tour guide. Can he go there? Or do you prefer some, some one of you guys to go there and mm-hmm. be with him and so on? So it's, it's, it's a collaboration and, and I really like that. And it's, I worked so hard for this. You know, I worked so hard. I, I spent 10 years of my life when I became a tour guide. The first 10 years was for me, first of all, to advertise for the West Bank mm-hmm. and to advertise for giving more time for the West Bank, mm-hmm. to give more time in, in Jewish narratives for Judea and Samaria. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the real place of the Bible. You know? mm-hmm. Israel is not where the Bible happened. It's Judea and Samaria where the Bible happened. It's the West Bank, mm-hmm. you know, and it's crazy. People come from all around the world. I visited the Holy Land without even entering Judea and Samaria. Mm-hmm. I mean, did you really visit the Holy Land? You think going to Jerusalem, that's the Holy Land? It's not the Holy Land. You know? The Holy Land is huge. And in the West Bank, there are so many places worth seeing. Mm-hmm. Biblical stories, the most important biblical stories are here. But somehow, uh, you know, Israeli tour operators were able to emphasize on the other stories because this is what they could offer. Or it's dangerous during Intifada or something. But really, there is so much to see here. And I was able and opened the eyes of many priests, uh, tour Tour, uh, not tour operators, but the you know the uh, you know the uh, the people the, the head of the the tour agent, let's say, or the guy coming with the with the tourist from that German company or from that American company, or from that church, and telling you you're 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 missing Lazarus tomb, right? You're miss you're missing the place where Jesus fasted for forty days and forty nights. Mm-hmm. You know you're missing this, you're missing that. 
And uh, he's like, oh yeah, there is a place there. I'm like, there's a beautiful church there worth visiting, you know. So next time, he will ask the tour operator, I would like to go to Bethany, right? So they have to take him to Bethany. No Israeli tour guide will go to Bethany. I don't think Israeli tour guides are allowed to go to Bethany. They're allowed to. They're allowed to go everywhere, except except uh, from the Israeli idea of except cities like Hebron and, mm. uh, and Nablus. But the rest, like Ramallah, Bethlehem, and uh, East Jerusalem, they could always take a permission to, to go there. So I, I received the permission once to go to Ramallah. Yes. And I, it was fascinating for me. I hadn't been in Ramallah in 25 years. So yes. just to see it after you know, 25 years. And I've been to Rawabi. And uh, you know, it was wonderful and eye-opening. And yes. I'm glad that I had that opportunity. But basically, the idea of the Israeli Defense Forces uh, made me sign a document saying that if anything happens to you, it's your responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> we won't come and help you. We won't save you in any way. If if you're attacked, if you need our help, don't call. And the only reason I needed that piece of paper was to exit yeah. the the yeah. the area of Ramallah. Which, and which you know, which is uh, not true. They will come to help you. No, yeah. knowing the Israeli idea, they will come for you. But, but, but that's what they made me sign, yeah, right? And, and it, took, it took several yeah. weeks. It wasn't like, you know, I called on the phone and it, it took like two weeks until I got the permission. And all the permission said was, if you want to go, you go, but oh, we know. won't have... I know. Listen, I, 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 I'm part of a small organization mm -hmm. called Tiul. Okay. Tiul means trip. Right. And Is it the, the Tiul Rikli? Rikli, exactly. Yeah. And I, uh, I was their Palestinian coordinator. And the whole idea for us uh, was to, to to bring Israeli tour guides and Palestinian tour guides together. Mm -hmm. But we thought, let's do it in a very interesting way. So my idea was, let's bring the Israeli tour guides to the West Bank mm -hmm. and show them uh, some parts of the West Bank, which is totally uh, Jewish places. Mm -hmm. And then let's go to Israel and show them parts that are totally Palestinian, Mm -hmm. history that is totally linked with Palestinian culture and see how a Palestinian will explain this and how an Israeli will explain this, right? And to see the different narrative that, that we have. Now, you're coming to the West Bank, we went to Shiloh, for instance. Okay. Right? And how would a Palestinian explain Shiloh in the West Bank? Mm -hmm. You know, or how, how would an Israeli explain a lot in, uh, in, uh, in, Israel. in Israel? You know, and, and telling the stories of St. George and, and stuff that in, in the Palestinian story. Or the War of 48. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and so on. So it was very interesting. But we were able to, to build relationships. Mm -hmm. Knowing each other, knowing the other side was so important. Mm -hmm. um, um, I believe knowing the Israelis is, is very helpful. And as, as well as I know if they know us better, it's sure. helpful. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm still totally against having a basketball game between one Israeli team and one Palestinian team, <laughs> or just sending children to play together and, and then making footage and sending it to the world. Everything is fine, they're playing together. It's, it's not fine. There is a big occupation here. Right. But at the same time, there is, there is a chance for peace, right? And, and at the same time, I will do these peace meetings, but when it, when it leads to something that when, so, it, when I know, me knowing the Israeli tour guide, mm -hmm. it will lead to something good. When, I, when we sit together, speak about drug problem in Israel and Palestine, mm -hmm. we need to do it. 
when we sit together to speak about right of women in Palestine and Israel, we need to do it, or homosexuals or something like this. Mm-hmm. There are big topics that we both, both face and problems that we might have to tackle together as the two nations or the two governments. Or, right? So what you're basically talking about, if I understand correctly, is normalization, right? Where you, what, where you stand regarding normalization. And exactly. that, that in certain aspects, it's necessary in terms of the discussion on these issues, and in others not. Yeah. I can tell you my side, and just to share. I personally, I'm tired and fed up of politicians. I'm tired of politicians. Yeah. They have their own interests, and they don't always consider the interests of the small people. Yeah. All right? Sometimes they do to get elected, but often they don't. Okay? I don't believe that we will ever have peace from above. I think peace has to come from below. There needs to be people who want peace, and then the politicians will think about how to make peace. But if there's no pressure, pressure from, from below on the politicians, I think there are a lot of politicians, and I, and I don't mean just po- exactly. Palestinians. Yeah. I mean also Israeli politicians yes. who benefit from the conflict. For sure. The, the problem is the opposite is happening through through the the, the separation that happened between the two nations in the year 2000 right. the second intifada and you you feel that people don't know each other anymore and you feel as if the whole two countries are going different directions mm-hmm. and it feels if you're a politician and you you want to bring them together you're actually going to lose Right. The more you stand them apart, this is where you're going to win even more and more. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. And we, you just said it. Politicians will only do what they see makes them sit on that chair. So they will just push for the separation and not for peace, just to make sure that they're still sitting on that chair. And that's that's the, that's technically the problem. How to move this is a very good question. How to, to bring people together, it's... it's, yeah, it's how do you problem. move it without normalizing? Or if you normalize, how do you recognize the disparities in, in you know, position because one's under occupation and, you know, okay. how do you deal with that? That's a million-dollar question, yes. right? Yes. True. But I want to go back to your education uh, as a tour guide. And this is something that actually some... I told a couple people I'm coming. One of them wanted me to ask you this question. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask the question. He said, what do the students in the tour guide course here learn about the state of Israel? You know, the, the story of the state. What is the story that you teach them about the state of Israel? Uh, the history. The history of Israel. The history of the story. Uh, okay. See, see, since we're teaching history... Mm-hmm. And uh, so we, we go all the way back. I mean, we start from all the way back. If you're speaking about the modern state of Israel, it's a question. If you're speaking about the history of the Jews in the Holy Land, it's another question. So we we agree on the history of the Jewish uh, nation or Jewish uh, people or the, the religion of Judaism in the Holy Land, right? Because I see Judaism as a religion, mm-hmm. right? As Christianity, as Islam, as uh, Judaism. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we, we know the history. We know the history of the, you know, Joshua coming with the, with, the, uh, with the Israelites coming through Jericho and so on. 
So we agree on this. We agree on even the stories of... I, I make fun of even the, the, these biblical stories and, and if, if I want to link it with the history, I mean, speaking about even the Bible itself. When it comes to Abraham coming here, he's not from here, right? He's, he's personally from Ur. So mm -hmm. if you want to say, I was... This is my... It's real actually from Iraq, well, technically, right? So um, but this is linking now history and politics, but we know the story. And uh, I, don't, I don't need to repeat it, uh, but we know the full story, uh, first temple, second temple, uh, we teach them that, you know, we, because, because it's a Christian, it's a Christian uh, universities that are teaching this, so we should agree on this, right? Okay, because there are some voices, I, I don't know how common or prevalent they are in, um, in the Palestinian Authority, who in the last 20 years or so have begun to deny a Jewish connection to the Temple Mount. At least that's what we hear. That they say no, that there was no temple, that the Jews make up this story. No, yeah, this, this is... Uh, it's not what I, you I teach. I don't want to say nonsense, but uh, uh, Jewish connection with, with the Holy Land is, is obvious, you know. And Including it's, temples. Listen, what, what I teach my student mm -hmm. uh, is, is that we are the continuation of this. This is our history. Mm -hmm. This is my history as a Christian Palestinian. Mm -hmm. This is my history as a Muslim Palestinian who was before maybe a Christian, who was before that a Jew. This is my history as well as it's the, the Jewish people in Israel history. This is our history. It's not just your history. And this is what many times I feel that the Israelis don't get. They feel that we're the outsiders or we don't have part in that history. Not knowing that Jesus himself was a Jew. And most of his first followers were Jews that became that started Christianity, and many of the Christians had to become Muslims. And now I'm not saying every Muslim is a Christian who was a Jew before, of course, right? But there is a big chunk of of Muslims that they really were Jews 2,000 years ago, right? Their ancestors were Jews. Well, yeah. Genetically, Jews and Palestinians are very close. Very close. Yeah. yeah. And and I have to say, many of the the Jewish Israelis, maybe, let's say the Palestinian. Uh, genetics, maybe it's even nearer to those people who were here 2,000 years ago, closer than the Israeli yeah, uh, Jews who came from many different countries and, and so on. But this is, I, I don't want to you know, argue, I'm just saying that we agree on the, on the history and we agree that everybody has history here. But we shouldn't forget that the last 2,000 years of history of the Holy Land were mainly a Muslim history. I don't want to read the Bible and close my last page and open my eyes, and it's, it's the second day. No, it's not the second day. There have been 2,000 years after Jesus Christ, speaking about a few hundred years Christianity, but then Islam came to the country. In like the seventh, seventh century. Yeah. And we have the, the cut of the Crusader period. Right. But then it's, it's a Muslim country. Mm -hmm. This is a Muslim country for the last thousand some years until the creation of the state sure. of Israel today. We shouldn't forget that they have history here. And it's the longest history. That's the reality. It's longer than the Christian history. Mm -hmm. It's longer than the Jewish history of the land. Speaking about the history, it's longer in terms of if you count how much they controlled, how much Jews controlled, how much Christian controlled. The longest history of the land is a Muslim history. Now, I'm a Christian and I'm saying this because this is what I learned. Mm -hmm. This is what everybody should know. And we shouldn't open our eyes if it's, it's the second Certainly day. Certainly shouldn't deny yes, Muslim the, history in any way. I exactly. Agree or Muslim connection to the land. Absolutely. All right? The same words that, that Jewish Israelis use, they need to understand that even a Muslim Palestinian could use, a Christian Palestinian could use, and it will fit immediately 
to, to his narrative or even to, 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 the, to the history that he had on, in this land. So my question that's related to this is, in our tour guide course, we have to study a lot about Christianity and Islam. We had about 100 hours, I think, of Christianity. And this, not only Christian history, but Christian practice and yes. in church tradition. All, we, we studied about 100 hours. Yes. And Islam as well, not as much. I wish we had studied more. But we, I think we had at least 30 hours, you know, something like 30, if not more hours of Islam. Do you also study about Jewish history in your, in your training? And the other question is related Funny to this. thing, I have the book in, in my car. I'll oh, show it okay, to you. I could even give it to you, but it's in mm-hmm. Arabic. That's fine. Okay. What, I want to, what I want to understand is, yeah. the, when I studied about Christianity and Islam, it actually opened my eyes to many things and made me feel closer and to understand where the Christian tradition is coming from, to understand where the Muslim... Do you think that there's something also, when you study Jewish tradition, to understand the Jewish connection to this place? Does that... For sure. Yeah. For sure. I mean... I mean, I, again, I, I I try to be out from the box that I'm a Christian, and mm-hmm. you know, like my Jesus is a, is a Jew, and and the way he lived is so interesting for me, and it's it's actually Judaism. He was a rabbi technically, like for for the Jews at that time, they saw him as Muallim, the, the teacher. Muallim. Yeah. So uh, for sure, knowing the, but but listen, the, the more you dig, the more you know. Right? The more you dig, the more you know. And if you want to tell me that the Jewish culture or the Jewish tradition of today is linked to the to the Jewish tradition of the Temple time, it's it's not. I mean, this is rabbinic Judaism. That's that's prophetic. That's a different story. Why the rabbinic happened? Is it against Christianity? Is it to 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 loosen up Judaism to to be to be more more uh, like open-minded, like Christians that. I don't know if you're with me, but I, th- I think as an anthropology, you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Was it an answer against Christianity, the rabbinic Judaism? In part. In part, sure, right? Yeah. So is it, uh, because sometimes I think if Jesus Christ come now and see Judaism as is, he might like it more than more than the Judaism he saw at the time. Mm-hmm. Of time right? He might like the diversity of it, and it's not as strict as it was before. And I think Judaism today is perhaps more universalistic exactly. than it was then, yeah. and that's one of the things maybe that Jesus was, you know, preaching towards. Exactly, yeah, that's universalism. what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I, 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 I hear what you're saying, yeah. and I think it's interesting to think about it because certainly there must have, you know, these kind of cross currents. We I see it, see, for I example. Speak with you about this, yeah. right? Trust me, you cannot speak about this with ninety uh, percent of the Palestinians because they wouldn't know. Hmm. All right, for them, a Jew is the Jew that's written about in the Quran, for instance, or hmm. the Jew that they learned the story of the new conflict. All people who dig deep in history, it's the Jew of the of the two thousand years ago uh, Roman period or before that, has his means and stuff. But uh, your position is interesting because you're a Christian and from an ancient Christian community. Right. I mean, you probably I don't know how far back you trace your roots here, but certainly the Christian community has been here also for 2000 years. Right. As part of this land. I'm sure. Yes. Today, you're kind of caught between, you know, Jews and Muslims. You know, it's a strange situation, especially for the Christian community, because in the world, Christianity is the largest religion. And yet here you're a small minority. Right. Yes. 
Yes, one minority. And um, another strange thing is... It's, you look at, look at this in, in many directions. You could also look at this, you, you're the person between two chairs, right? It's going to fall right. down. But what you do, you're going to fall down. What happens if you're between two chairs and there's nothing underneath you? You probably yeah. will grab the two chairs together. So, so we might be the bridge. You might be the bridge between the bridge. I love that. That's a beautiful yeah, right. idea. I and like this that. This is what well, we try, you know. We like the Jewish culture of Jesus Christ and his heritage. And because this is built, mm-hmm. Christianity is built on this. Mm-hmm. That's the reality. Christianity is built on this. But at the same time, we love our Arabic tradition, uh, how Islam had affected our thoughts and, and uh, also the tradition of raising our children and so on in a very amazing way. We shouldn't forget that Oriental, yeah. Oriental teaching came part of it from Islam. We have mm-hmm. to be frank. And we, just, we love that. This is our culture, right? So it's, it's my culture. It's, it's the religion of, of, of uh, Jesus at the same time. Right? How, how to bring that together? That's, that's, it's a challenging yeah. theme. Right? Yet at the same time, all across the Middle East, Christian communities are, are shrinking, right? We, we see everywhere. And not talking, you know, only here. In Iraq, you True. see the situation. True. And in other, you know, other parts of the world, in Egypt, elsewhere, Christians are being pressured. Um, but here, like in Bethlehem in 1993, if I'm not mistaken, there was a Christian even majority, right? Sure. Sure. But today, you're already not a majority anymore. Yes. And We're so, a yes, sure. you become a minority. So this but is a strange experience. No, but, I mean, again, if you want me to blame something, no, I, I want just, to understand the situation. I'm not looking to blame anyone. Okay, you want to understand? It's 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 simple. The the the, the start of, of losing Christians of the Middle East happened with with the with. Let me go back to this guy coming from Mongolia. What's his name? Genghis Khan. Yeah, with Genghis Khan. Yeah. He he almost killed 25 percent of the Christians in the Middle East. Right? right. You could go Google this. Mm-hmm. And 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 later, these these Mongols became Muslims. Correct. Right. So this had affected the existence of the Christians in the Middle East on a on a, on a big uh, you know like in a big way. Now speaking about today, and I know I know you want to hear more about today and about about Bethlehem and the Christians in Bethlehem. Well, the Christians in the last 30, 40 years, they're more Westernized. Now it's true I have four children, but I tell you this is not very normal today for like, most of my friends have two mm-hmm. some of them have one two children uh, but uh, you know so we are more westernized in our thinking in having less children uh, not thinking like uh, many many of the other muslims or even uh, half of the Jewish society, or let's say 40% of the Jewish society, that are willing still to have 11, 12, 13 kids. Uh, Muslims having seven children per family in Palestine, uh, in, in villages uh, and refugee camps. In Palestinian cities, it's only three. So we come up to 4.7 Palestinians. Israelis come to 3.5, I think that's the, the latest number, something around that, per family. Right, so we're not uh, technically very far away from each other. But Christians don't like to bring so many children. This is first. Second, 
Christians like to study outside the country. And many times when you go and study outside the country, right. why to come back? You know, that's the question. Why to come back? It's still, it's a war situation. This is a country under occupation, right? Mm-hmm. It's not a war situation, excuse me, but it's a country under occupation. Mm-hmm. Now, even life under the occupation could be really good. And I have to say, uh, the state of Israel could be harsher on the Palestinians. And they're not that harsh, right? They could be even tougher. They could make our life miserable. But no. You just have to look to Syria to see what the worst case scenario could be. Exactly. Um, I I agree totally. I mean, uh, life here is amazing. I I like my life here. Now, I'm not totally free. There is a few of my rights that are not there. I'm free in many different aspects, but I don't have my full freedom. And that's what we're aiming for, right? Uh, So many people, you can't ask them to accept less than 100% freedom. And so many of the Christians who have who have family outside the country, Christians had fled the Holy Land, mainly Holy Land, at the beginning of the uh, f- First World War. Mm-hmm. Right? It's been about Ottoman period. Ottomans wanted Arabs to fight for them in the First World War. So they asked Muslims, Christians, whatever, go to the war. Many who went never came back. Mm-hmm. So it ended up families had to send their children, especially from the age of 15 to 25, outside the country. Mm-hmm. My city, Beit Jala, we have 13, 14,000 people here. We have more than 100,000 in the city of Santiago de Chile alone, right? In one city, city wow. 100,000. Like 10 times more than the village or city where these people came from. Right. We have more there than here. I mean, we think we're almost 500,000 all around, right? There's only 14,000 here. So many had fled, but what I'm trying to tell you, this had made a bridge for us. Whenever there is a problem here, I could always go to my brother who still lives in Boston. I could go to my uncle who lives in Germany. I have two aunts in Sweden. I have one aunt in Peru, one in Argentina, in uh, Cordoba. Where my father's from. I know, I heard that. So, <laughs> Cordova is where he's from. Yeah. Yeah. So I could always tell them, oh, listen, the war situation is here, you know, I will have a visa and we'll, I'll go there. They will tell me, come, you're welcome. And then we'll try somehow to keep you there. This is what, what's been happening. Many Christians have been fleeing the Holy Land, looking for a better life, better economic situation. We don't have hate from Muslims nor from Jews in this mm-hmm. country as Christians. Both respect us a lot. Now, yes, due, through, due to the conflict and due to the intifadas, making it for us unbearable to stay economically, mainly. And this is why many Christians leave. First, second, what I answered at the beginning is that we have less birth rate right. than the Muslims. And third, which is the most important, I think, which is a policy, again, I don't want to go into politics every single time, but you need to understand, since 1993, Palestinians are not allowed to go to the city of Jerusalem. You need to understand, before 93, you go to the city of Jerusalem daily, there is more than half a million Palestinians there. And they were not from Jerusalem. Jerusalem have 60, 70,000 Palestinians at that time, and all of the other 450, they were visitors, daily visitors, from Ramallah district, Jericho, Bethlehem, and Hebron. They would go, that's their, in their eyes, that's their capital. This is where I'm going to do my, my business. This is where I'm going to sell my fruits. This is where I'm going to sell my vegetables. All of the villages around Bethlehem, which is, we just spoke about, so near to Jerusalem. 
They would go to Jerusalem to sell their stuff. They would not come to Bethlehem. See, in one day and another, after 93, people were not allowed to go to the city of Jerusalem. They had to come to Bethlehem. So Bethlehem became the next big uh, mm. cosmopolitan city for the district of Bethlehem. And this had made Bethlehem, I have to say, in a Muslim city, which is, that's the reality. You know? mm -hmm. But still, its base is Christian. Most of the old city uh, belongs to the Christian community. But, but there is more Muslims, people living in Bethlehem than Christians, because that's what happened. And War of 1948, there are three refugee camps, mm -hmm. and they all belong to the city of Bethlehem. And today they could vote even in the municipality, mm -hmm. and they count as people of Bethlehem. So this had shrinked more and more the number of Christians in, in Bethlehem. If you want to go from Bethlehem to Ramallah, how long does that take you now? I mean, you, what, what you should say, knowing, knowing that if you go through Jerusalem, it should take 20 minutes. Forget about traffic. Half hour maximum. Uh, forgetting about traffic. Because it's 10 kilometers to Jerusalem from here and another 10 kilometers to Ramallah. So Palestinians, when they travel to Ramallah, we have to go through what we call Wadi Anar. Wadi Anar, it's the fire valley, right? Mm -hmm. it's, uh, I like to explain this for my students when, when I speak about the fire valley and connecting it to to the place where where people used to burn the trash of Jerusalem down in the in the uh, in the Hinnom Valley because that's the continuation of it, mm -hmm. right? And and so on. It's a beautiful biblical things that you could explain. I love that path actually when I take my tourists through it because there's so much to say that they will never see in the regular tour. Anyways, but it takes so much time. Uh, to to go through it, and there's a few checkpoints there, and it's uh, it's bumpy, and uh, they always say they're gonna make this road better, and so on. USAID had helped before to make it better, but yes, it takes at least an hour and a half, an hour twenty minutes, an hour fifteen minutes when there is nothing of traffic if you travel on a Saturday or on a Friday, but uh, in any other day it could take up to two hours if the checkpoint, uh, if if Israeli soldiers have heard. Somebody that they want to grab is crossing that checkpoint and they want to check every single car, and then it could take two and a half hours. Right? So can you work in Ramallah and live in Bethlehem, which is 20 minutes away, actually? No. So there is something that I was kind of, you know, wanting to ask you about guiding in general. It's um, related, I think, in a way to the Arab-Israeli conflict. And the question is, like, in your guiding, where do you think that you fall in this kind of spectrum from providing objective information versus subjective experience, like your own kind of subjective personal experience? How much of yourself do you feel that you insert in your guiding? And uh, should the goal be to be detached as possible or to really share? The reason I ask this especially is around these narratives surrounding, you know, the Arab-Israeli conflict. Obviously, both sides have people who are sure that they're right. There's also a lot of people who can see that there's gray. But this comes up again and again in the guiding. So how do you feel about that kind of balance and spectrum between objective and subjective, between being detached and between sharing from personal experience? All right. Um, yes, it's... Uh... When when I teach my students, I I, I tell them that uh, you know uh, I, I show them the history, right? But then 
but then we, we learn not only one part, right? You, you learn the economic situation of that era. You learn uh, the history of that era. But then you read this from uh, this historian, and you need another thing from that historian. And then you read the Bible, right? Which tells you a little bit a different story, and that's a different story. So how to connect all these stories together? It's still an art, and everybody could connect it differently. So you can be a tour guide who says, the Bible says this, but in that book it says that. Or you could mix both together and come up with an explanation. I think based on reading those two books, this is what they meant. right? So, uh, and this connection is for so many tourists an eye-opening. Oh, wow, that's, that's really how it is. I, I'm from one of the people who, when, when I explain the birth of Jesus Christ, I say, uh, yes, Jesus was born in a stable because Mother Mary is a Jewish woman and she was unclean when she had to bring a child. If I tell this word unclean to a Catholic tourist, he will flip. But listen, she is a Jewish woman. She was unclean. She had to be far away from the people. She can't give birth in front of the people. Maybe that's why she went to the, to the, to the uh, stable, because that's where she would be by herself. It's more respectful, it's, it's behind, it's warm, it's, it's so-and-so. So there is things that you need to connect. I connected the unclean story from the Old Testament, and she was a, a very uh, you know, religious Jewish woman. So she will respect the, the laws of the Old Testament. So she knows that when she's having a child, she's unclean, she's, she has to be far away from the people. For instance, that's an example, right? So. And I, I urge my students to think outside the box. You don't need to think uh, only about what's written here or there. No, connect. Connect these stories. Connect to Naomi uh, and uh, Ruth uh, being uh, picking up the, the rest of the harvest. Connect, connect when uh, picking up the rest of the harvest. We have a word for this, for this because now we have the olive wood harvest. I don't know if you've seen some people harvesting yes. olives. But when I pick up my olives, I keep some on the tree for the poor people to come and pick. She was picking the rest of the harvest. Technically, she was a poor person, right? right? So I connect this. Why not to connect? Yes, nobody teaches you this. Nobody tells you to, to say it. But I urge my students to connect the culture with the biblical story and tell them, see what Ruth did this in that month or this month. I'm doing the same thing. I'm keeping something for the poor people. So yes, there is a place for every tour guide to be objective and to speak loud about connecting his culture or the culture of the Palestinian village, which is so near to the biblical Jewish culture, nearer than the culture of the city of Tel Aviv to the Jewish culture of, of the Bible, right? So why not? Why not to connect this? This is first. Now, speaking about narratives, I did few, few uh, political tours. I do religious tours. I do pilgrimage. I do political. You know, I I do what my tourist you know is interested in. But in part of my political tours that I worked for, uh, let's say, many companies. I don't want to say something specific, but like Majdi tours, for instance. I do a dual narrative tour, right? Mm -hmm. And in this dual narrative tour. When you have an Israeli guide and you have a Palestinian guide sitting in the same bus, and everybody's supposed to give his narrative about things that you see or about the, the place that you're heading to and so on. And what I learned from that, that experience 
working in dual narrative stories. That it's nonsense. The nonsense of it is that there is no dual narrative story. Okay. I learned because many times in that dual, I have to, I have to defend the uh, radical uh, Palestinian parties. I don't want to mention names, but I have to defend them because, because I know what they did is due to this and this and that, or they think like this because this is what they learned. Well, this is what happened, and that, that made them like this. That happened because of this. For everything, there is a reason, right? And, and I have to explain it. Now, I don't like to defend these people. That's not my narrative, mm-hmm. but I have to say their narrative. So I learned that there is at least, I counted once uh, for, for every single simple thing, there's like 20 Palestinian narratives. Mm-hmm. Depends if you're, uh, if you're religious or not religious. If you're a Catholic or a Greek Orthodox, you could have a different narrative. If you're a Christian, Catholic or Protestant, you have a different narrative. If, you're a, if you belong to Hamas or Fatah, you'll have a different narrative. If you belong to the left parties, right? There's so many narratives. And the same thing I learned, I felt that my Israeli friend or colleague was also caught in that, in that corner, that he had to, pro- to, to defend Israeli settlers, let's say, while he himself was totally against the idea of building more settlements. What's there is there, but he's totally against building more mm-hmm. settlements. But he had to defend them. And I would do the same thing if I was him, right? So there is not even, there is no two narratives. There is so many narratives. And how to, to how, how can you expose your tourists to all these narratives? It's tough. But the, that's why it's it's really, if, if tourists understand how much they could see here in the Holy Land, and forget about politics now, the same thing works for even religious places. I could take you to the church and spend an hour and a half explaining the church. I promise you, I could take you to the church one more time and say total different stories and spend another one and a half hour explaining different stones, different narratives, different eras, what happened during Crusader period and what happened during that period, right? You could, so you could tackle things from so many places. That's why it's worth coming to the Holy Land more than once. And, and there is what you call a, a Holy Land syndrome. I don't know if you heard of it. But yes. Some people are crazy about this place. And they keep coming. They keep coming because they want to learn more. They understand they, they didn't see everything. And a trip to the Holy Land is not a vacation. This is I always tell this to my tourists. Be ready. Put your sneakers. You're going to walk a lot. You're going to get tired. You're going to sweat. Right? And, but you're going to learn. And it's one trip is not enough. I tell them, my guests sometimes, I just tell them, if you've left more confused than when you came, I think I've done a good job. Exactly. exactly <laughs> you know, yes. If you've gone back, you know, a little bit more confused, that's yeah. good. Go back, read more, come back again. Exactly. I, I tell them if you came with a with a hundred questions and you go back with a thousand, I did my job. Exactly. Because right? there are so many small things in, in, in all aspects, religious, political, social, cultural, so many simple stuff that will, and every small stuff is an eye-opening. Mm-hmm. And the more I explain, the more people go, wow. And, and at the end they go, now we understand why this is really complicated. Because many people would say, simple, there is a conflict, let's solve it, right? Yeah, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? As if yeah. no one here <laughs> yeah, ever exactly. thought about these yeah. ideas. <laughs> exactly. So, so, yes, so our job is just to open the eyes of people. We, we, we don't give solutions. We, it's not my job to give a solution, but it's my job as a tour guide to open the eyes of, of my tourists on different aspects and not only what he has been feeding all his life in his country. I'm not speaking about what he was 
hearing from his Israeli tour guide. I'm just in his country. And in the media and in, in the, the media, newspapers. Exactly. Depends which, which newspaper you're reading, which news agency yeah. you're reading. You know, this is left, this is right. This is what he had, this is what he knows. Hmm. Which means he doesn't know about other things. So yeah. my job is just to open his eyes. There is also this, and don't forget that. So I'd really be interested to hear about what kind of tours you're offering and what do you typically do with tourists who come to uh, you know, visit here or that you guide around the country? Yes, yes it's, it's, it's tough. I've, 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 uh, I, I, I'm like a net, right? I try to do so many stuff because I don't want to limit myself. And I don't want somebody to tell me, oh, this guy is, is a political tour guide, because I am not. Because mm-hmm. I like to speak about my historical, biblical stuff. I'm really good with my knowledge in my Bible, and I know how to explain the Bible very well in terms of Old Testament, New Testament. Uh, so yeah, so what I do is uh, first, first of all, I work for so many tour agencies, and I and I do the uh, West Bank for them, especially the day of Bethlehem. But when they know there is interest of that group to go to Nablus, visit the Samaritans going to Jericho, visit the Mount of Temptation, or Tel Sultan, the oldest city in the world. Uh, Hisham Palace is an amazing Muslim uh, Umayyad palace that we just restored as Palestinians with the help of Japanese. So much money has been poured there. It's going to be a highlight of Jericho for the coming uh, coming year. Hopefully, it'll be the, uh, we're going to see more tourists going to Jericho due to that part. So many stuff in the West Bank, as I said, that I could show. Now, I personally, uh, I, I, I work with big groups, you know, but you know, the more the group is smaller, the more you could speak more about your experiences and you hear more of, of those people. It's nicer, they could ask you more questions, you could answer better questions when you have time with them and when it's just a family or two families you know, going, uh, going you know, to, to visit the Holy Land. So, what I offer, uh, is mainly uh, the West Bank and uh, people to come three days, four days, five days. They could spend up to five days. That's, I see it's, it's the maximum. Spend five days in the West Bank. Uh, but you could say, I have only two days. What can I see in two days? And I, I will answer immediately. Do you want to see one city uh, fully and come next time in a year and see another city fully? Or, or you want to add as much as you can in these two days. We could do three cities in two days, like Hebron, Bethlehem, and Jericho, for instance, right? In two days. Or you could spend one day in Bethlehem and finish the city of Bethlehem. And you know I have seen that city in all its uh, small parts, in, in the old city, walked the old city, went to Herodian, uh, went to St. Sabbath Monastery, did uh, both of the, uh, uh, you know, the... Shepherd's Field or something like that, other than the church and, and other stuff. Now, I add to this the experience. Now, the experience is not just having a tour guide. I think, I think people should visit the living stones of, of Bethlehem and not just the stones of the Holy Land. So what I offer my tourists is, is to come and have lunch in my house. I let my wife uh, cook a uh, Palestinian traditional meal. We provide lunches. Uh, as I mentioned before, my mom is also a tour guide, so uh, it's also part of her business. She invites big groups, German groups. I invite many American, uh, many Danish groups that come to me. You, you speak English, German, German, any other languages? Arabic. And, Arabic, of and, course. And some Hebrew. And some Hebrew. Yes. Okay. 
But English is... is, is, is most international. of your tourists are English speakers. Um, yeah, English and German. English and German. English and German. But uh, I have many English-speaking tourists from the United States or Europe or any other place in the world. Uh, but I, I was so happy in the, in the last two, three years. I, I sensed the interest of uh, Jewish Americans that uh, wanted to know more about the West Bank mm-hmm. or wanted to visit their real Judea and Samaria, right? And wanted to visit Bethlehem, thinking of King David, thinking of Ruth. And I, I could tour a Jewish family with their Jewish tradition and bring all up the, the Old Testament, uh, Tanakh stories of Bethlehem to them and remind them of the fields of Boaz, reminding them of the well of David, reminding them of many stories that happened in Bethlehem, Old Testament stories. And to look at it from that part and then see the today, see the church a little bit, walk the old city, and, and it's, it's a great connection, and they're uh, really interested. So many universities uh, send uh, their students also to me, you know, to, to explain for them uh, also the, the life of Palestinians. So many of my, my groups, they come for also the lecture at home. I combine the lecture with the meal. So it's coming to my house, having a meal, and at the same time, I'm telling them more about the culture of the Christians in the Holy Land, how our tradition is different than your tradition, but it's still a Christian tradition, mm-hmm. uh, speaking about Christian groups, and uh, and so on. It's, it's an amazing experience. Many of them will go back saying, that's the best meal I had, or some people say, that's the best experience I had, just entering a Christian Palestinian home. We didn't know they exist anyways. Like, Christian Palestinian Arabs? You know, it's like, for you, uh, you know, uh, Arabs are Muslims, right. uh, and, and I think it's even makes it more complicated if you think of uh, Christian Palestinian Arab Israelis, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like and Catholics, and yeah. Protestants, yeah. Yeah. Orthodox, and, exactly. Yeah. But think mm-hmm. you're an Israeli Christian Arab, uh, and uh, and so on, and uh, yeah, it's it just doesn't fit in, in the narrative of so many people, because people like to cluster people in, in places. Exactly. So by coming here, it breaks so many stereotypes in their minds. I had so many good experiences with the groups that came here and they were amazed. I had the, the governor of California uh, mm. once came, uh, came here and had uh, lunch in my house, who was Republican, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and all his people were, were here. And they came to me through an Israeli uh, tour guide, mm-hmm. who was a good friend of mine, uh, who doesn't work on the Sabbath. So he always sent me his tourist on a Sabbath, Sabbath yeah. Yeah, so that I would do the... Uh, and, and he told me, like, uh, open their eyes, like, show, show them, show, tell them more about, uh, about Christian Palestinians, tell them your story. Mm-hmm. And I was, uh, I was so happy, he was like, feel free, you know, this is your opportunity. He's like, I try to push them to understand, but it's hard because they don't know. So it was my turn to explain. Right? So I'm just saying there's so many experiences that I had, and you go back home feeling I did the change, I, I changed something today, right? I helped peace in the Holy Land. I helped pe- people to look at us in a different way. Mm-hmm. And the more people look at Palestinians as humans and Israelis as humans, the more that we, I think it's, it's a step further towards peace. You know, the, the more the world will look at us as, as 
as two nations beside each other looking for, for peace. It's better than looking at one side, either, you know, black or white. And so, um, so I'm going to start wrapping up now. But since we were talking about peace and we're talking about groups of people who come and visit, just came to mind, I was wondering, the last uh, couple of months we've had some peace agreements or normalization mm. between uh, Israel and the Emirates and Israel and Bahrain. And yesterday they announced also that there's the possibility that's going to be with Sudan. Um, would you be excited if tourists from those countries came here and would you be interested in guiding them? I, I really hope that they would come, but on a different circumstances. Really, I, I, I always believed and I always told my students, be aware, the Arabs will come, you know, and they have, they have so much money and it could be a very good opportunity for us. Excellent opportunity because you yeah. speak the language, yeah. you understand the yes. culture. Exactly. And, uh, and you have an opportunity also yeah, to share your story. We thought this, this should come through a peace agreement with the Israelis and the Palestinian Authority, building the state of Palestine. And then tourists will come to visit both sides. It's totally fine. Visit Israel and visit mm -hmm. uh, the, the Palestinian Authority areas or Palestine, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> but the, the idea was this: this was the, this is the right path. I'm sorry, but this is the right path. Right. These tourists should come here, under after peace should flourish and and feel free visiting two sides here and there. You know, mm -hmm. and they shouldn't come with 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 a feeling that. They, they betrayed one point. I'm, I'm sure they're going to be scared even to come here. You know? mm -hmm. But we're, we're going to be welcoming, as, as we are always. We always welcome our tourists. And we know it's not, it's not uh, the people who took that decision, which is, which is an amazing decision at the end. It's good to have peace. Right? Mm -hmm. It's good to have peace, but it's, I think it wasn't the right path yes. uh, you know, to, to, push, to, to push for it. I, 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 I'm, I'm so... Uh, I have so many thoughts about, about these peace treaties, you know. It might be the best thing that happened. It might be the best way. Maybe you can, you have to push it to, to, for it to come. Maybe, I don't know, maybe the more Time peace agreements that it. Israel will have with other nations, maybe this will put more pressure on the Palestinians to accept less and less of what their demands, and then maybe peace will come. Maybe, maybe that's the way. I don't know. We tried so many things. Maybe let's try this <laughs> this way. Maybe, I don't know. But I will tell you, this is not what the Palestinians, uh, like they feel, uh, you know, part of, of, of uh, you know, like as if... Do you, you feel betrayed? Yeah, it's, it's like something is wrong. Yeah. Something is wrong. Because we love these people. Uh -huh. We love Sudanese, uh -huh. right? We, we, <laughs> I was just reading a, a, like in a, on, on the newspaper today. We love Sudanese, and the Sudanese government loved the Mossad. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, like we know it's not like. Unfortunately, these are not democratic countries technically, right? So if Sudan is in a, it's it's in a process of yeah. becoming more democratic. True, true. I, I'm just saying, Sudan is a very big, poor country. Yes, it's I, very poor. Yeah, I'm not just being. And I think Sudan. that they're they're interested in yes. the development possibilities true, here true. with Thank you. You're with investment from. Yeah. From Europe, this U.S., right Israel, way. all these places. This is if this is the right way, maybe. But I'm sure if there is a war in Europe between two countries, and then uh, you ask a country to make peace with the other, 
probably have a referendum, right? Probably you're going to ask the people, would you like this or would you not? You want to exit, uh, exit the European Union or not? The people right. will answer. People will answer. If you ask the question for Sudanese, would you like, would you do this peace treaty? Mm -hmm. um, uh, I'm, I'm sure more, more than 70% will say no. Mm -hmm. They want peace because the Arabs agreed on peace with Israel. Mm -hmm. There is what you call the Arabic uh, uh, 2000, the year 2000, 2002. The, the Saudi initiative, yeah. yeah. Exactly, which says if Israel makes peace with the Palestinians on the ground like of 1967, peace. everybody will acknowledge Israel, will all have economic treaties, a business with Israel, we will accept the, cre the creation, we will accept the state of Israel. Every Arabic country said that. We, they want to. We want to. Palestinians want Arabs to acknowledge Israel. Trust me, it's the best thing for us. But it should come after a real peace between Palestinians and Israel. Amen. So that's, that's, that's the right way to do it. Okay, I want to end with a question about how you've been doing these last seven months with the corona crisis. And what do you think is the, the future? What do you think is the future for tourism maybe in Bethlehem in particular, but in general with this situation, because everything has changed over the last year because of this corona situation. The, the, see, just before coronavirus, uh, uh, you know, the whole story started, I was even moving my, my business model into even letting tourists sleep in, in my house. And I had a few families sleeping in my, in my guest house, which is one apartment of my home. And they will even experience uh, a night here in Bejala, and they have the amazing breakfast of, of uh, you know, the uh, traditional Palestinian food. You know, speaking about hummus, zaatar, and lebani, and zaitun, and all these amazing stuff. You know, and the dinner and so on, because the Holy Land also has has a kitchen to to offer. You know, and it's, yeah. uh, many times people forget that because many of them go to big hotels and and they miss that. Uh, so I offered that, and it was amazing experience. And this is where I was heading. So I was—I I always like to look for the future. I like always to change a little bit and add something to what I do. And uh, I had success, but then exactly what happened is uh, the coronavirus started in, uh, in the Far East, and it, it came to us and uh, it affected everybody. Right now. What you, what you need to understand, you, you're in the Palestinian Authority, and, and we don't have a real running country, right? We have a government, uh, but it's, it's not like everything is running well, right? I always say we have, everything is up and running, but, but what we're missing is the name. It's one of my sentences usually to my tourists, like, Palestine is running even if they don't have, we don't have the name. We have almost every organization from from uh, educational to universities to everything, mm -hmm. almost everything. We just miss the name, I always say. So acknowledging or not acknowledging Palestine, I think it's, it's a matter of just a word, because we have almost everything up on it. But it's not running perfectly. So one of the problems is that, uh, is that uh, people who lost their jobs through coronavirus don't get any penny from the government. Mm -hmm. So this had made so many of my friends tour guides poor. Uh, especially the ones who had loans, who were building a home, who just bought a, a, a car. You know, it's, it's not like they know how to pay for it. 
especially ones who have four or five children and they have to pay for schools and so on. It's it's tough. Yes, tour guiding is a well-paid job, and many of these people made made money before, but maybe they spend that money building a house or buying something, you know, and now. Uh, they thought we were gonna we're just entering the season, right? It was an amazing season. I could show you my calendar. I had almost everyday work. You know, so it's uh, it has been tough on so many, and uh, we're trying we're trying to cope with this as tour guides. We we meet now and then on on Zoom and so on. Uh, we're even planning lately to to uh, to have like a, uh, like a, a community shop. Mm-hmm. Uh, that sells uh, grocery, and uh, this is a start uh, for for tour guides. Uh, like, uh, but since it's a community shop, it doesn't pay the taxes, right? So it'll be a little bit cheaper, mm-hmm. and uh, all the tour guides could uh, could invest in it. And how much invest to get a cut back? Mm-hmm. So a way of making some money and at the same time buying cheap, mm-hmm. right? So we're we're planning on this, and uh, we have raised some like uh, maybe five thousand from this guy Shekels, two thousand from here, ten thousand from there. We have raised enough money to to start that. Uh, that's great. Yeah, that's an idea how, how these guys are trying. Now, I'm I'm personally lucky because I uh, I you know I studied different things before, so I have a base, and. Uh, my my family was uh, or my father used to run a small uh, I don't want to say factory it's another it's we have two 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 employees but running this small business mm-hmm. that uh, I'm able to run now and maybe make some uh, you know some money to to survive let's say right but this is not the question for so many other tour guides it's been tough for them. Have people tried uh, doing Zoom lectures? Is that something that, that people have been doing? Most of the Zoom lectures for us is educational for the tour guides, mm-hmm. just to keep your mind fresh and so on. Mm-hmm. Now, I have to tell you, I, I just had my first offer. There is a group of Swiss people, mm-hmm. Swiss, and they, they, that I work for them, uh, or that I toured with them so many times, and uh, they are not coming. This year they were supposed to come, but they thought if we're not coming, we want to have the tour happening on Zoom. So they connected with all the guides and all the organizations that they used to visit and so on. And I have I have two two offers two days one about the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem and one about John Baptist. It's going to take place in December, so I just accepted the offer. So at least I have two 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 days of of work uh, through through online. Uh, let's hope this works well. The Bible College just contacted me yesterday, and they were uh, thinking of having a whole episode of uh, of places that I could do uh, studies about, and uh, and then people could maybe buy buy twenty minutes to right. watch the explanation of that church, this church, this place, that place, you know, and they will make money. I will make some money, you know, so that's uh, another way, you know. What do you think is going to happen with the corona? What, what, what do you foresee? For, for tourists to come back to the Holy Land in the way it was, uh, a vaccine must come and, and people mm-hmm. must feel healthy and must feel they're not threatened uh, to, to, to come here. 
Now we might see tourists before that, if if there is precautions and and uh, people making if 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 the work of uh, those Israeli scientists with Indian said they're trying to get a test of uh, three minutes. I think thirty seconds. Thirty, they were 30 seconds. Yeah. I think if you have something like this, then you can have people travel. Like make the test. He's okay. Go on the on the plane. Right. So you would know everybody coming down from that plane is not affected, and, and maybe you could you could have some sort of tourism in that in that way. But it's not going to be like before. It's not going to be the buses of fifty and sixty right. people, right? So it's going to take time. How how much time? What do I think? I, I I'm sure you get so many different answers. Yeah, everyone says I'm. I don't want to give a date because it it feels like asking when is the end of the world. You know, and, and people no, but I feel like I feel like Bethlehem. You know, there will always be people coming. Always, you know, there's a star yeah. leading people to, right. to Bethlehem. Yeah, totally, like you know, because this is such an important place. Oh, and we tried this so many times. In yeah. in terms of whenever there was a problem yeah. that didn't allow tourists to come, mm-hmm. and tourists might not come for five years, like the second interval, or just a few months, like small other incidents, right. war here or even war in Lebanon or something, people might not come. But we know that after that, they will come in uh, abundantly, right? Mm-hmm. They will come in, in, in number, big numbers. So yes, we understand that this is always a direction for tourists. It's not like, oh, I didn't swim in Spain, I could go swim in France. Exactly. Right? This is the whole year. This is where people... People will always come here. Exactly. And people who postponed their trip, they're going to come afterwards. It's not like I'm going to go somewhere else. So yes, we... We're always happy, you know, and we, we want to plan for, for the future and for these tourists when they come to have an ex- amazing experience. Bethlehem has been building a very strong, uh, very strong tourist uh, uh, like sector in terms of hotels and restaurants and shops and, and the whole old city was restored. Yeah, excellent hotels, excellent yeah. restaurants and much cheaper than Jerusalem. Yes, yes. And, and the same quality or better. Exactly. Isn't it? It's not about cheap. It's not like cheaper. No, it's, it means less expensive. Yes, is what I mean. Thank you. Yeah, not thank cheaper you. in terms of the quality. The yeah, quality is even better. That's, often. that's the thing. That's yeah. the thing. And, and we think it's not. It's not like we're not. Ma- we're making money. Mm-hmm. It's not like we just want to make it sh- cheap to get the tourists. No, 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 this is this is our price, right? Because we think that's the fair price. Mm-hmm. It's not like a fight against other hotels. Now, life in Israel is more expensive than here. Yeah, I've talked about it on the podcast before. We're a very expensive country in terms of tourism. And so staying, visiting here is actually more cost-effective in many ways because of that. True, and and the reality is uh, is, uh, the state of Israel makes so much money from other sectors. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tourism, from last time I read, 2% of the Israeli Mm -hmm. Mm economy. Tourism plays a big role in the Palestinian economy. Big, big role, more than 20%. Mm. And speaking about tourists spending money in the Holy Land, from every $100 that a tourist will spend, $7 goes to the Palestinian authority, the Palestinian sector, let's say, or the West Bank, and $93 goes to Israel. Mm. See, this $93 makes 2% of the Israeli economy, while the $7 makes 20%, 20%. of the best. And this is how, how important this is. So we try to make the 7 into $10. Let, let the tools spend a little bit more here. And this is what we're trying. And, and it's, it's working a little bit. And, and we, we're seeing this. Like Bethlehem is, is well off in the last two years. If a, if a tourist or anybody wants to contact you, what's the easiest way 
they can contact you. Is there a web page, Facebook, or phone, what, email, whatever way? Yeah, I, I do have an email. Uh, that's the, the, the best way, I think. Uh, I, many people have tried to contact me through, uh, through Facebook. It works, you know, they hear about me from a friend or so on. Or from the documentary I made, which I told you off offline about it. Uh, that, that you I want made. to share something about the documentary? Yeah. You're welcome to. Yes, I was I was lucky to be chosen by uh, Rick Steves to to make a documentary on the land called Israelis and Palestinians today. It's uh, it's even on YouTube for free now. It's an amazing documentary. It speaks about the Holy Land, Israel and Palestine. It's, it gives a well. Uh, well-rounded, uh, like uh, picture of 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 the Holy Land. Uh, I I don't know what I just remembered him asking me at the end of it. You're probably gonna ask me final questions. Usually, typical uh, one question. He was like, "What's the best thing uh, to to see in the Holy Land, or what's the best thing?" And I was trying to to make him understand the Oriental way of thing. We don't have the best thing. We have so many things. It's not the best food. It's not the, there is nothing. That's like, why when we have a meal, we have all the all different types. Right, exactly. <laughs> and that's a different mentality. I understand his question totally, because this is how, how Americans perceive things, like the best, second best, and so on. Mm-hmm. For us, it's, it's different. And, and uh, like how he insisted on me saying which part I, sh- I, what is, I would sit and where, what's the best thing I would be looking at, you know, and so on. But an amazing person, Rick open-minded, and, and he was able to, to share uh, the Holy Land to Israel and Palestine with, with the American people. And I was lucky to be chosen by him. And now through him, I have so many tourists. He had helped me having these families that are looking for a great experience, and that the ones that slept in my home even. And, and I was able to show them the West Bank for two days, three days, or four days, or five days. I would help them. Uh, share with them connection with my Israeli tour guides if they want to see more of Israel mm-hmm. or even part of Jordan because many of them would like to connect to Jordan, West Bank and Israel in the same trip and so on. So, uh, yes, back to the question. It was basically yeah. what's the easiest and best way to get in touch with you? Yes, yes, true. Uh, yes, so uh, my simple email address is uh, under my name. Uh, it's Kamal, K-A-M-A-L, underscore, M-U-K-A-R-K-E-R, at hotmail.com. And I hope you probably will write this under... This will all somewhere. be in the program notes yeah. for this episode. I'll yeah. put in your email address and any other information that you may have that you want to share with yes. us. I will, I, I will also share with you my uh, phone number, which, is, which has also WhatsApp. So now it it's, should be easier even if you don't want to write an email and you just want to write a, a message and ask me if I'm free on that day or this day. So you could also WhatsApp me. And uh, so I, I'll put that down yeah, also in sure. the program notes so sure. that you can find it there. Sure. And uh, I think we're going to end at this point. I want. Yeah, I just want to ha- say my last uh, sentence, which is. Uh, uh, I hope from my explanation today, you, you didn't feel that uh, the Holy Land is not a safe place. It's an amazing place. I love my life here. And uh, Israel and, and the West Bank, Palestine, they're, they're a beautiful place to be visited. Uh, you should come here. I wouldn't trade my life or my uh, or, or living here 
or showing the Holy Land with, with, any, with any place, with any of you, technically. This is an amazing place. The weather is amazing. We have so many seeds. The, 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 the fruits that we have throughout the year. Just come and let, let the Holy Land amaze you. Uh, you're welcome anytime. From Palestinians, and I'm sure you're so welcome from Israelis too. Thank you. That's a beautiful way to end the episode. I really appreciate your hosting us here today. This has been a real pleasure for me. And I look forward also to being in touch. You're so welcome. Thank you. Thank you. All right. How was that? I thought that was a wonderful conversation that uh, Kamal and I had. And I guess since uh, this is really my longest episode, I'm just going to leave it at that. I don't want to add anything to it. I just want to say that in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to have some really interesting discussions. I've got a guest who I interviewed just a couple of days ago, who is from the Druze community. And I'm going to be interviewing someone else who kind of specializes in guiding the conflict. So I think we're going to stick to this theme for a little bit longer. And that'll be coming up in the next couple of episodes. And um, yeah, so I just want to end with a quote by our president, the president of Israel, a guy by the name of Reuven Rivlin. He's uh, from the Likud party, uh, which, you know, is associated with being very right wing. But I wanted to read something that he said, which, you know, I really connected to. So he said, the Palestinians must understand that this is our home to which we have returned. And we also have to understand that this is the homeland of all those born to it. So I'm just going to leave you with that and thank you.